all, so this goes to you and to the team for all the hard work we put in day in and day out. <laughs> we about to get it in, baby. Let's get it. Welcome to our kind of pod, a UW football edition of the Boy Meets World podcast. Joining me as always is Michael Stanton, a.k.a. the great Stantino, to break down the BYU win and look ahead to UCLA with plenty of other pontifications in between. This week we talked about the Daniel Teoneshaim CTE diagnosis, looking at just how good this UW defense is, debate the concept of a balanced offense, and look across the college football landscape. As always, enjoy it. All right, welcome to... uh, I always lose count. This happens again. It's seven. Se- seventh uh, our kind of pod. That's or no, six. Sorry, sorry, six. Eleventh our kind of pod. Pretty nuts. We've made it this far. Um, <laughs> heading into the, uh, the the pivotal matchup uh, with UCLA in the Rose Bowl, um, fresh off of a a thirty-five to seven spanking of BYU. Uh, that's kind of as good as it gets as far as blowouts in the Chris Peterson era. I feel like he's he's a little gentle on the gas pedal. Yeah, it's not like uh, back when we were putting up 60 in Alamo Bowls with Keith Price, but uh, I'll take it. Yeah, yeah, the, the pace is a little different. Um, so, yeah, it was, a, it was a good win, definitely the most comfortable uh, game that I've seen the Huskies play this year with the least amount of complaints. Uh, we're going to treat it as such and try and fly through this week's podcast heading into UCLA. Uh, Start off with a trivia question, though, Stantonio. Uh, okay. What was the first or the last Husky head coach to win in the Rose Bowl? Well, the last game was 2013, and we lost. Mm-hmm. So I'm going to guess it's not Sark. It was not Sark. And it's not – I mean, you might be totally uh, playing I know, me I here. I know what you were about to say, Then that didn't happen. <laughs> okay, okay, so it's not Willingham. Yeah. Then we got Gilbertson or Neuheisel. It is one of those two uh, gentlemen. I'm going to guess Gilbertson for the uh, unexpected, but Keith, what do we have? Keith, uh, good golly Gilbertson. Won, Gilby. Got it done in the Rose Bowl in uh, the nice. mid-aughts in a, in a period of transition for the Husky program. Uh, so it yeah. has been more than a decade since the dogs got it done down in L.A. Uh, obviously, I've beaten UC- USC a couple times down there, but UCLA mm-hmm. uh, has been a little troublesome. So on we go into this week's game. Uh, first one, first down for us is, is kind of a, on a somber note. Um, if you are a friend of mine on Facebook, which I'm assuming all of you are, uh, you saw what I posted on in the fundraiser I started for uh, Daniel Teoneshaim and for CTE Research, reason being uh, Daniel Teoneshaim, a former UW defensive end at one point, uh, was the all-time sack leader at Washington, um, passed away in October uh, at age 30, a couple years after leaving the NFL, played a little bit for the Eagles and for the Bucks. Um, got word a few weeks back at my, my job at the Concussion Legacy Foundation uh, that Daniel Teoneshaim's family uh, was hoping to come forward with their CTE diagnosis uh, of their son. Um, that was the first I heard of it, and obviously a little bit before um, the rest of the, of the public probably heard about it. Um, it was a, a true sad experience in that, you know, there's plenty of sad stories that I hear about that come across my radar um, that, are, that are tough through that position, but this one, given the personal element of being an, an, an incredible fan of the program and of Teo Neshaim's, um 
and knowing him and seeing him come into the program at the time that he did and where the time that he left, uh, it just hit a little bit differently and a lot differently than, than, than normal um, with those. So uh, it means a lot to me. Um, if you want to head over to that fundraiser, it's on my Facebook and make a contribution to that. That would mean an incredible amount to me to try and put a personal touch on, uh, on the work I do and the, the place I work for to try and uh, head closer to a, to a solution for, for, uh, for Daniel and for um, the many, many, many former athletes who, like him, have, have fallen victim to this disease. So a uh, tough one and not as eloquent as I probably would have wanted to have that there, but um, it just I had to say it and had to use this, this platform to do it. But uh, Teo Neshaim at UW was just a, a truly relentless player, uh, got by because of his just sheer determination it's kind of funny, but it's kind of sad. Uh, there's a story about how he would play so hard that he would throw up and his mouthpiece would go into the throw up and then he would just put it back in. And like that, oh, it, <laughs> uh, horrible. But I mean, it, this is like the type of person that he is. And I'm sure if um, a little bit of ed- education into that as to, you know, slow it down and, and a little bit more of an understanding of what he was doing uh, by playing that way. Uh, might have changed things differently. So hopefully we're we're heading towards that that uh, that type of culture. Yeah, and after reading that New York Times article, which was really well written, by the way, um, definitely worth checking out. Um, I didn't realize how much CTE affects not only just your longevity on this earth, but just also behavioral aspects of mm-hmm. of who you are when you're here. So uh, that was eye-opening, um, but also very informative at the same time. And I want to applaud you for the torch you're carrying in this specific case, because I think obviously it's a great um, for a great cause, but also for a great person that represented this um, university and the football team very well. Appreciate that. Well said. Um, enough uh, about that topic. Like I said, if you want to... Um to help out, go to the fundraiser on uh, my Facebook and, and uh, make any contribution that you feel uh, is worth it. It will go a long way. I, I can promise you that towards um, towards working towards a cure and a diagnosis. Um, all right. So honoring Daniel Teo Nesheim for the rest of the season. Um, <laughs> I'm not wearing a jersey, but there would absolutely be a 66 patch on it. Uh, let's move on to, to this year's team. And speaking of, of, of great defensive players and, and uh, you know productive defensive players, this year's defense is full of them. Uh, just how good is this year's defense, if you can put it into to some perspective? Well, we lead the country in scoring defense, so uh, you're pretty much as good as you can get because last time I checked, uh, football games are decided on the scoreboard. Yeah. Uh, so, yeah, pretty pretty uh, hard-hitting you, you started, analysis right here. You came in this season with a focus on adding value, and you have just not stopped. <laughs> Yeah, yeah, it's uh this this is one of the best defenses we've ever seen probably in in a f- program history, which is pretty amazing to say given the defenses we've had over the years and I think you're going to speak to one of those um on this point as well, but uh yeah, it's the, the defense has only allowed six total touchdowns this season, which has only been bested by Auburn, um who's only allowed five, but um Still scoring defense, 11.6 points per game, which is phenomenal. And then holding BYU to only seven points when it should actually have been zero if it wasn't for that fumbled punt. Um, just really impressive. And eliminating uh, explosive plays over 20-plus yards a season only seven times. So you really can't ask for more from these guys. But 
Um, I know we've talked about them a lot, but it's worth bringing up one more time just because they're that good. Yeah, and and to the point, I mean, the, there's kind of some aspects of the defense that I would like to to see um, evolve. I mean, still haven't gotten home for a, a sack with a with a defensive lineman, uh, which is an odd odd thing for for uh, through through four games now for that to be the case. Um, however, I still think that that the the, uh, the qualitative or the the, the number one uh, metric here, and this is something that Coach Peterson would say. Uh, straight up to you is that the only thing that matters is just how many points you give up and so that's that's um that's certainly comforting and i think jimmy lake had something about you know obviously we want to see more sacks we want to see more turnovers things like that that can kind of um, shorten the field for our offense and ultimately help the team so that is something that they're definitely working towards and and have a lot of creative ways to do that how they use taylor rap um as as a as a blitzer being kind of the number one point with that um, but yeah, I mean, you talk about this defense versus the 2016 defense. We talked about that a couple couple weeks ago, um, and I think it's about even. I mean, that team had had just as much talent, um, if not more. The question is like this defense versus the '91 defense, and I think that any like my dad is going to hear this and just like immediately throw his headphones out because the '91 defense was <laughs> was just of a, a different caliber in terms of what it was doing and how dominant it was. Uh, as was that team. Just to, I mean, quickly put this one to bed. The the '91 defense had five NFL draft picks on defense. The number one overall draft pick in Steve Edmond, uh and Dana Hall, a cornerback, also went in the first round. Um, there were five NFL linebackers on the 1991 roster. Um, wow. Gr- granted, this is these are back in the days when uh, you know there was, it was like a 12 round NFL draft. Um, okay. But still, still, yeah, five five NFL linebackers on on one team. Um, is just relentless and, and speaks to the, the depth that that program had. Uh, 9.6 points per game allowed for that 91 team. Um, the Huskies would have to average giving up a little over eight points a game for the rest of the season uh, to hit that mark through 12 games as, as uh, how many the, the 91 team played. Um, just, just an incredible defense. And granted, the eras are different. Scoring pace is way different. Um, but but uh, just a testament to the... Uh, the staunch nature of that 91 team. Yeah, that's that's pretty eye-opening. I had not heard the the nine the the average of nine or whatever it was per game. So yeah, that's less uh, than two scores a game you're giving up, which is just crazy. <laughs> yeah, that's absurd. But hey, we're in the ballpark, and in today's game, uh, it's all about high-scoring offenses and things of that nature. So uh, I think I think we can be pretty happy about that. Yeah, yeah, it's to say the very least. It is all relative for sure, but um but yeah, this defense certainly puts you in a position to win games uh no matter how poorly the offense plays. Uh but transitioning into a little bit on the offense here uh for our third down was I I I wanted to talk specifically just and I wanted to just like just uh in be in awe about Taylor Rapp for for most of this down. Uh but like an hour ago I was like, "Oh, we got to switch this because Chris Peterson and Mike Leach, coaches of University of Washington and Wazoo, respectively, um, had their you know weekly press conferences this week, and both of them had kind of diametrically opposed points, talking about the exact same uh, concept, which is the concept of balance on offense. And I'll read you uh, what Chris Peterson said. Chris Peterson uh, and the Huskies threw 25 times this week and ran 37 times, so favoring the run. Uh, Chris Peterson was asked, how would you describe your offensive identity through the first five games? 
He said multiple, balanced, that's what I would hope. Uh, and then the next question is that, is, is that always the hope regardless of you know personnel changes and things like that? And he says, always, that's where we want to be. And I think we have been. It doesn't mean it's going to be like that every game, but I think in general, that's what it is. We've got a really good tailback and a really good quarterback. So we like to run the ball and the quarterback to throw it. That's how most people would like to be. And I kind of think that's how we are right now. So Chris Peterson favors uh, balance in terms of the run game and the pass game. He wants both to exist so that they both um, you know, can can succeed in whatever, whatever type of game. Mike Leach infamously the pirate lord uh is not a huge fan of of forcing the run game if he doesn't have to uh the cougars beat utah this week uh with 13 rushes for zero rushing yards uh and 56 pass attempts and they still were able to win here's leach talking about his offense i want all the positions to touch it nothing about there's nothing balanced about 50 percent run 50 percent pass because that's 50 percent stupid now, uh, what what uh, what is balanced is when you have five skill positions. If all five of them are contributing to the offensive effort in a somewhat equal fashion, then that's balanced. But this notion that if you hand it to one guy 50% of the time and then you throw it to a combination of two guys the other 50%, that you're really balanced and you proudly pat yourself on the back uh, – uh, and tell yourself that, and people have been doing that for decades, well, then you're delusional. Is this a philosophical war? Uh, and by that, I mean, is is this Chris Peterson and Mike Leach are just on total opposite ends of the spectrum, or are they actually closer uh, than, uh, than we think they might be here? Well, they're looking at it at two different perspectives. Uh, Chris Peterson understands that running the football and passing the football create completely different uh, things and what the defense has to do in order to stop those plays. Mike Leach, on the other hand, is saying if I throw a slant to receiver X on one side of the field and sl- throw a slant to receiver Z on the other side of the field, that's balanced because I'm balancing out the touches between my skill positions. Mm-hmm. And he says that it's 50% stupid to to get, gauge the run in the pass on 50, you know, h- half and half. Well, I think his philosophy is 100% stupid, honestly, because. <laughs> Those are the same exact things. A slant on either side of the field to two different receivers is literally the same thing. It's just the coverage is going to be flipped. Whereas if I'm running a draw versus running, you know, verticals in the passing game, that is completely different. And it keeps your it keeps the defense on its toes and off balance. By being balanced, you're keeping a defense off balance. So I just don't really see where Leach is coming from. This may be my bias because I would rather see a hundred percent run than a hundred percent pass. I'm kind of old school in that way, mm-hmm. but at the same time, his philosophy doesn't really add up to me. Yeah, I mean, I, I the the leech stuff is is well documented in how he he approaches football and and you know the the air raid, the how mummy stuff. Um, it's it's been proven over time, and you know the dude gets eight or nine wins a year, regardless of what he has, because he has a very defined system. And mm-hmm. it is his job to stand for that system so that it can be a recruiting pitch and it can be a part of their identity as a program, which you have to do if you're in Pullman, you have to do if you're in Lubbock uh, to get kids to come to your program. But I actually think that they're not, that, that Peterson and, and Leach are kind of talking about the same thing here in that you need, okay. you need to be able to do 
both things and to 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 go into a game with a with a you know every other play we're gonna we're gonna mix it up or you know if we just ran twice in a row we have to we have to now throw twice in a row that is the is the 100 percent stupid part of it and i think that that's mm-hmm. what leach is talking about and i think that that when peterson talks about being multiple um you have to be in a position where you can you can do both now leach yep. leach's system is all based off of what you see in the box five men in the box means run uh, and if you, you know, if, if you're seeing, uh, more, you know, more linebackers in the game, that means you're going to challenge those linebackers and get them outside and throw. I, so I, there's, there's games where I think Mike Leach would, would come into it and say, you know, they're giving us the run, we're going to run. Uh, but for, for him, most of the time that situation is a pass. So I just, it, to me, it's, it's like, you know, it's the idea of being flexible and not being bound to, uh, play calling like cadence and rhythm, uh, because of of some you know notion that you have to run every time you or every every two passes means it means two runs. I think that's where uh, where they're both getting at with this. Yeah, and I agree. I mean, it's not like you need to balance it out like like you're saying trading off every other play. Like you can go and run a not, no pun intended, but go on a run of you know passes and then a run of carries. Mm-hmm. Um, but at the end of the game, you probably want to see some balance in that i mean it all depends on what's happening in the game right and if you're down you're going to be passing more if you're up you're going to be running more so but if you don't if you don't do one of those two very frequently you're kind of putting yourself at as as at a disadvantage because if if they need the if the cougs need to run the ball you know i don't feel as confident in them versus a team like the huskies who have committed to being good at running the football. I don't know. It's just a riskier play, in my opinion. No, I, I think you're absolutely right. And ask uh, ask Syracuse fans if they would have liked the running game this weekend against against Clemson. Yeah. Uh, you know, so the, <laughs> there's there's just uh, some realities about the run game. Um, it's from a physicality standpoint too, of just the ability to wear down teams in that regard. Um, where I just think that Leach is a little bit off, and and uh, so I think he's more attacking the idea of balance in terms of play calling rather than the run game itself. Uh, but that is, uh, you could go on and on about about Leach's philosophy. Yeah. It's truly <laughs> fascinating. Um, yes, it is. But it was just funny that both of uh, the Washington coaches were talking about balance uh, in much different ways in their respective midweek press conferences. Moving mm-hmm. on to uh, the only <laughs> the only question that I really cannot. Uh, be of any use for because it's about the fan experience uh, in Husky Stadium and you are our man on the ground while I am uh, only 3,000 miles away watching games uh, from televisions <laughs> at, at bars and, and friends houses so uh, tell us about kind of um, you know some attendance figures the fan experience what Jen Cohen's been doing and the athletic department's doing uh, to really mm-hmm. make this uh, this Husky Stadium experience as best as it can be yeah it's uh it's been it's been great this season. I, I I think personally. I mean, and you can see that in the in the tennis numbers slightly creeping up compared to uh, last last year's figures. Um, I looked I went and looked back at average attendance per game um, since the 2012 season. I thought that was a good starting point. Um, and you can see the tr- the trend is kind of interesting. So in 2012 there was a shade over 58,000 per game which is understandable. We didn't win a single game that year. Um, then then Sark came in, and it bumped all the way up to 68,000. This was when Husky Stadium, I think, was 72.5 capacity at the time. Yep. Uh, so that was a pretty decent spike because we're, that season is actually what 
we averaged last year. Um, but then we dropped to 64.5 in 2014, 61.9 in 2015. Um, and then and then 2016 rolled around, college football playoff season, got up to 64 and a half. Then last season, we were all the way up at 68, 68.8. And then this season, we're all the way up at 69.8. Uh, that's in thousands, obviously, um, which is the most of any school on the West Coast by quite a f- wide margin. USC is down to only about 57 and a half so far. UCLA is at 55 and a half. So, um Things are really looking pretty good from an attendance standpoint, and I think a lot of that is attributed. I mean, obviously the the product on the field is better than it's been in in close to 20 years, but mm-hmm. I think there's also a lot of praise that needs to be pointed towards Jen Cohen and the rest of her athletic department, um, just because I think Jen is doing an outstanding job. Um, it's worth a read in the at the Seattle Athletic um, this week by Jason Jenks and Christian Capel, who both both did interviews uh, with Cohen or articles, I should say. And there was a couple uh, passages that I just really wa- wanted to read just really quickly here because mm-hmm. I thought it explained who Jen Cohen was really well. So this is from um, I believe Jason Jenks' article. Uh, quote, she was hired in May 2016 after spending 15 years at various jobs in the athletic department, including as a fundraiser and overseeing football. In less than three years, she has hired basketball coach Mike Hopkins, signed a huge deal with Adidas, and would have won a National Athletic Director of the Year Award if such an award existed. <laughs> but in the corporate world of college sports, she stands out for being so human, flawed, vulnerable, and this is the word people use over and over again, authentic. She looks at it at times like a fan, her husband says, motioning to the southwest corner of the stadium. She used to sit right down here. Her dad's seats are right up in the corner. She's only 100 yards away, so her eyeballs see this game the way she saw it when she was 8 years old. The community, the culture, the student-athlete is at the center of everything she ever thinks about. And her, uh, she was quoted saying in her 2016 press introductory press conference, um, this university is woven in the fabric of every being of who I am. So I think when you step back and kind of register those quotes right there, when can you say that an athletic director was basically like one of us, you know, mm-hmm. like she was in our shoes at this point in her life. She was just a diehard fan that knew that she wanted to work in sports and eventually become an athletic director. And I think it's amazing to have someone that grew up as a Husky fan from when she exited the womb until now it's just it's it's a perfect combination and i think i've never been more excited and i've never thought of the athletic department trending upwards more so than it is today under her uh under her guidance so i think we should just be really appreciative of what we have and really excited for the things to come and not only football but all sports at the university of washington in the coming years Bravo. Well done. First of all, you could read me to read me a bedtime story whenever you want to. <laughs> uh, phenomenal, phenomenal intonation there. Uh, but also just the points about about Cohen and, and how how valuable that is of someone who who just really gives a shit about what they're doing. She gets it. She gets it. And, and um, you know, like we are psychopaths for the program and, and, and you know, <laughs> have have made that very clear over the years and um there's times i think when it feels like i i I don't know when i was when i was at school and working in the athletic department it just did not have the 
vibe that it does now, even though Cohen was right down the hall. It was just kind of a little more uh, corporate, but just there's just kind of this tangible feeling, this energy that can come from it. And obviously, like Mike Hopkins is a great banner carrier for that um, in the basketball side of things. But but a, a lot of it, I think, comes from Cohen and her leadership and just kind of the uh, – the, the buzz she's she's creating just by, you know, continuously beating the drum for UW football. Even just the Mark Jones thing, like nipping that in the bud. Um, mm-hmm. It's just an important thing of just like that goes like she she took care of that situation because for however, however long there was a situation where uh, the UW program was was threatened by, um, you know, ignorance and stupidity and she just wouldn't have it. And that was it. And I think that that's just a good example of kind of the, uh, the the box checking that she does to make sure that uh, this program is, is where it needs to be. So bravo, Jen Cohen. You've you've been our, our kind of gal before. Um, could really give it to you every week. Um, but uh, but yeah, good, good stuff there. Mm-hmm. All right. To one burning question. And this is the first time that it's taken us this long to talk about Jake Browning uh, in a podcast. <laughs> so that means he must have played well, which he sure did. Uh, 23 of 25 for 277 and a touchdown. No turnovers in two straight games. Uh, some huge progress there. Thought it was also um, Jake Browning's best game. Again, I thought Bush Hamden's best game as well. Um, they did mm-hmm. what they said they would do after the Utah game, putting easy throws in front of him, uh, hooks, out, out routes that are just you know big body. Drew Sample to hit right in front of you if you can't can't hit a read. Um, a lot of bubble screens, quick hooks. I mean. Uh, it was it was a really pretty game to watch from from Jake Browning in the offense. Yeah, and uh, you could argue that's I mean it technically QB rate, QB rating wise it wasn't his best, but mm. he was only dinged in that category because he only had one passing touchdown. Right. If you look at his top QB rating games over his career, it's because he's thrown five touchdowns, four touchdowns, whatever. Um, but from an efficiency standpoint, this was the best of his career. He, like you said, he's 23 for 25, which is good for a 92% passing accuracy, which tops the previously set record for himself at 90% against Oregon State back in 2015. Um, I think the opponent and just the overall circumstances, given the amount of uh, criticism he's gotten this year, makes this uh, kind of carries a little more weight mm-hmm. so to speak than that o- Oregon State game um but yeah I, I thought it was uh, I mean we also need to point out that he had a pretty nice touchdown run on the ground as well contributing yes. um in that fashion but I mean he was one completion shy of tying the NCAA record for the highest single game completion percentage with a minimum of 20 passing attempts so I know that's a mouthful but think about that how many years have we been have has college football been played Mm -hmm. and he was about to set a record for the best passing uh completion percentage of any quarterback in a game right i I think that's just phenomenal and and we we need to talk about this and we're not we're not oklahoma state where every third play that they run is a bubble screen yes there were a few of them involved but Mm -hmm. um you know it wasn't like gimmies yeah exactly i mean he was still throwing some some deep out routes and some more more precision routes, less, less, um, you know, just completely throwing into buckets and hitting people in stride, but uh, difficult throws nonetheless. So just good all around effort, um, good, good uh, progress in the in the passing game. Just to quickly run through the top ten uh, games in Jake Browning's um, career based off of just the pass efficiency metric on Sports Reference, which you know, lots of points for touchdowns, intercept interceptions, docu, lots of yards, better completion or more completions is good. 
the number 10 game was last year's uh, Utah comeback, which I think is, um, you know, statistically is what it is, but I think is one of Jake Browning's better performances just for, for what it meant. Uh, the yep. ASU game from two weeks ago would be number nine. Uh, the night there, the 2016 Apple Cup, where it was 28 to three at halftime, um, it was his eighth best game last Saturday against BYU. Is number seven. Number six or number six would be against Stanford uh, in 2016 when we just shut the house down, started yep. that game 30 to nothing in Husky Stadium. 44 to six. Your boy was there. That was uh, that was quite uh, quite an event on a Friday night or a Thursday. Yes, it night? was Friday. Night. I think it was a Friday night. It yeah. was loud. Yes, yeah. Anyways. That that was the arrival of that team. Uh, 2015 yes. against Arizona. Really don't remember anything special about that game. Uh, number four would be at Oregon, the the finger point game, eight total touchdowns. Uh, John Ross and Dante Pettis went 17 catches for 228 yards and five touchdowns in that game. My goodness. One of the greatest days of my life. <laughs> yes. <yeah. laughs> Being down there and seeing seeing that stadium and that situation. 70 to 21. <laughs> um, yeah. Uh, number three was last year's Fresno State game. Uh, gave me a little sad face because Hunter Bryant had 99 yards in that game. Uh, we miss you, Hunter. Uh, number two would be that aforementioned Beavs game in his freshman season. Um, and then uh, the the number one game in Jake Browning's history would be the sixth touchdown game at Cal, uh, which is the, yeah. the, the John Ross uh, freeze tag game um, <laughs> where uh, he just kind of, uh, you know, really put it on people. But from that top 10, four of those games from the 2016 year where he was the Pac-12 Offensive Player of the Year, uh, two from last season, two already from this season, and two from his freshman season. So uh, we'll see. Lots of games uh, left to go. We'll see if he can... Uh, add a few more to that top 10 list and, and really cement his senior season. But uh, and, go ahead. And and you you mentioned that Stanford game in 2016 being a turning point. I, I feel like if there's any game that would be a turning point in this season, it could very well be this BYU game. Mm-hmm. Uh, obviously not not as, you know, it doesn't seem as big of a of an opponent, given the fact Stanford was, I think, in the top ten at the time back in 2016 when we beat them. Yep. But um, this was the first, you know, full comprehensive victory that we saw from the Huskies, and a lot of it was due to the stellar play from Jake Browning. Um, and we're going to need that type of play that we saw this past Saturday in order to make our way back into the um, college football playoff discussion. Mm-hmm. So. Uh, I'm really hoping that this is the beginning of something great. Yeah, I, I agree. I mean, I think if, if UW wins uh, wins out, that's obviously needs to happen regardless. But uh, sure. w- winning out with a little style uh, w- would would do a, a lot to, to voters yes, to kind of break some ties. Uh, so keep mm-hmm. that in mind going forward. Hopefully uh, some style points can be earned in the Rose Bowl this Saturday. You will be there, um, which mm-hmm. is a great, great thing. We'll get the, the, the boots Michael, on the ground. The Michael Stanton ground report. Uh, UCLA is uh, is a garbage fire, uh, completely hapless. Um, has now won in the Chip Kelly era. Uh, it's it's not looking good. Um, but you have uh, you have your own informant in UCLA who helped kind of uh, you know bolster your opinion of, of what the UCLA team is. Uh, so I'm going to give you literally 13 seconds. I'm pulling up the the, the or 30. 13 seconds. or 30. Okay. 30. Wow. Yeah. Uh, 13, okay. 13 would be would be extreme. But 30 seconds to talk about. UCLA for the people. Are you ready? I'm ready. Let's do it. Go. Okay. Chip Kelly is now the coach. They're 0-4. That's beautiful. Um, They're no longer running the blur offense that Chip Kelly is known for, but instead they're using some pro-style offense that he has. Um, UCLA's 
he, they have the second worst pack five scoring off or power five scoring offense this season in the country 17 points per game uh only Rutgers is worse Dorian Thompson Robinson is a true freshman only played two years as a starting quarterback us beginning in senior high school season and the Huskies are a 21 point favorite 29.73 well done nice yeah nice uh, I would like to mention, though, emphasize Dorian Thompson Robinson, their quarterback. Uh, he is a true freshman. I, I said that really quickly, so I want to just <laughs> clarify this. Yeah. True freshman, only his second year as a starting quarterback. Apparently, he played behind Tate Martell at Bishop, Bishop Gorman in Las Vegas. I see. Uh, Tate Martell is now the backup quarterback at Ohio State. He's been seeing some time this season, actually. So he's only two years into starting at QB, and he hasn't looked that great. And apparently... His uh, his like sideline demeanor and things like that when things aren't going well has been pretty poor. So um, let's get in his head early. If you if he gets pulled out, you might see Wilton Spate, who's the transfer from Michigan, as a backup come in. Um, he's been hurt the last couple of weeks, but he might be healthy this week. So I know that was more than thirty seconds, but that's okay. We get to we get to see your tongue almost fall out of your mouth there. Yeah, listen to that. That's that's quite the feat. Um, UCLA should be interesting, um, and hopefully, by that I mean not interesting at all, and the game should be over pretty quickly. But you never know um, with uh, with the Pac-12. All right, the rest of the conference, back to pack. Uh, UC Boulder four and zero, undefeated, ranked. Uh, but they are also committing mail fraud in front of our eyes. Their yes. uh, opponent record is one in 16 unbelievable they go into nebraska and uh and pull off the upset in week one and it all looks great or is that week two that was week two um yep. it all looks great but then you nebraska's so, week one yes uh yeah exactly nebraska is just weak at all that's there's no there's no number next to that um so colorado keep winning um that sounds good but uh you are a house of cards uh buffs Anyways, Stanford could not get it done in Notre Dame last week, which is a little depressing if you start thinking too hard about uh, what Notre Dame has left to do and their playoff prospects. Washington State avoided the hangover um, following the USC game, which uh, is very rare for anyone from Washington State to do is avoid the hangover in general. Uh, but they go into or they beat Utah, um, Oregon, Blast Cal, um, Eno Benjamin of, of uh, Arizona State, the Arizona State running back who had a nice little game against UW last week, runs for 312 yards against the, the continuously hapless Oregon State Beavers. Uh, and this week we have Utah going at Stanford, uh, Cal going to uh, Arizona, Wazoo going to Oregon State, and then uh, that Colorado team is playing the Arizona State Sun Devils. Um from a from a you know kind of picking and choosing how we'd like things to go, starting with that Utah Stanford game, uh, pretty clear we want we want Stanford handling that game, right? Yeah, I think so. I mean, the only it's getting less and less though. I will admit that mm-hmm. we want Stanford to win, but I think we still do. Uh, the only nice thing if they were to lose is we gain. Assuming we win, we gain a game on them in the Pac-12 North. Um, I don't expect them to lose though. They're at home. Granted, that's not really an home field advantage i mean stanford stadium they don't even have a name for their stadium it's a big library oh, that's yeah well that that's very uh hypocritical because it's husky stadium but um you, you get what i mean so yes. i think we're still stanford fans um i'm really interested in that asu colorado game just because if colorado can continue to win they only need to get through usc before they face us i mean 
odds of them beating USC are probably low. But you never know, given how USC has played this season. So there is an outside chance that we could get a ranked 6-0 and Colorado team, which mm-hmm. would probably be a very inflated ranking. Um, so yeah. well, something to keep an eye on there. Yeah, them beating ASU would give them a little bit of a rankings parachute and obviously give those uh, give those pollsters a little bit something to, to perk their ears up and watch the Huskies if they're playing a team with a number next to their name. Uh, same goes for Cal. I think if if uh, if Cal can go into Arizona and and, and win yeah. there, I think they'll get, they will get back in the in the top twenty five, uh, which is obviously a good thing for for Husky fans as well. Uh, and then I think that we're at the point now where the Oregon State uh, ship is just a, a absolute lost cause, and you just can't lose to them if you are a, a Pac twelve team because it just it will it will infect the rest of the water. You're talking about Cal. Uh, I'm talking to the Beavs. Wazoo playing the Beavs this weekend. Oh, sorry. Yeah. Got it. Yeah. Yeah. Well, speaking of the Beavs, if Cal gets past Arizona, they only have UCLA at home and Oregon State on the road. Mm-hmm. So you got to believe they would win both of those games. I mean, on paper, they should win, yep. which would mean they would be six and one when they uh, when UW goes to Berkeley to play the Bears. So uh that would be another ranked matchup as well. So there's there's we're a few games out here, but there's a couple scenarios where we could see some ranked opponents in Arizona and Colorado or Cal and Colorado that we didn't previously foresee uh, earlier this season. Yes, yeah, absolutely. Um, so go Stanford, uh, Cal fans, also uh, Coug fans and uh, Buffs fans. If if I'm if I'm yes. taking score correctly. Um, so, all right, keep that in mind. Going into the college football party scene, uh, the big wieners, <laughs> big wieners in week two. Um, Notre Dame is a bunch of big wieners, but they are were also big win- winners. Goodness God! Uh, <laughs> Notre Dame not only beat Stanford, they officially have a quarterback in Ian Book. Uh, Ian Book, who at one point committed to Washington State University, very interesting. Um, wow! But decommitted, ended up going to Notre Dame. Uh, he has now led their offense from the doldrums into complete respectability. Um, so that was a, a big-time win for Notre Dame, getting that one done. Uh, they will now go into Blacksburg this weekend to play Virginia Tech. Uh, Ohio State... Gobble, gobble. Gobble, gobble, absolutely. Uh, Ohio State just got uh, squeaked out a win against Penn State, who did yeah. some, some... I don't know if you saw the end of that game. Uh, no, I didn't. The, the Penn State game. So Penn State driving, uh, just needs to, to get points on the board. Uh, on a fourth and like six, run a, ran, runs a, a zone uh, or a zone read, hands it off, um, and just gets crushed immediately. The running back does, and that was the end of the game. Um, so a, a weird one there in Happy Valley. West Virginia got it done in Lubbock, and uh, Kentucky, right? My my sleeper team here. Uh, Kentucky yep. beats South Carolina handily, setting up uh, the death trap game where Kentucky is going to beat Georgia in a couple weeks. Just stay tuned for that. Big losers, my well Stanford, but my goodness, yeah. uh, we were both watching the Syracuse game Hughes. very very closely. Syracuse just absolutely vomited all over themselves. Uh, we yeah. I, I, I have plans to go over that later, but Syracuse blew it. Uh, had a chance to beat Clemson uh, while their quarterback was in concussion protocol. Um, that was that was unfortunate, but other than that, uh, I think um, it was it was about a, a normal week for for college football. Yeah, it was a bit of a mess because that Syracuse upset over Clemson, I think would have. This sounds crazy, but I think it might have almost eliminated Clemson from the college football playoff for um, sure. Just given how awful their 
their entire schedule is this season. Mm-hmm. Uh, one ranked opponent currently on it in NC State, and I doubt they'll be there by the time they meet they meet Clemson. So uh, yeah, too bad. But uh, what can you say? That's how good teams like that will find ways to win. Yeah, and bad teams will find a way to lose, as we will detail uh, yep. very shortly. Uh, games of the week mm-hmm. this week we have the Red River Shootout, uh, Texas and Oklahoma. Um, should be some opportunity there if Texas could get that done. That would be lovely uh, because Oklahoma yep. is certainly looking like a runaway train at this point. Auburn goes to Mississippi State uh, to, to play in Starkville. That is a game that they just cannot lose um, for, for our sake. We need Auburn to, to stay as uh, near the top of the SEC standings as, as possible. Uh, Notre mm-hmm. Dame goes to Virginia Tech in Blacksburg. Virginia Tech, yes, they lost to Old Dominion uh, two weeks ago. Uh, but they got it done last week and looked to be on on off the schneid, uh, so we'll see what mm-hmm. they can what they can do there. And then LSU goes to Florida. I think those are the only four games that have uh, massive implications um, or you know sizable implications for for UW this 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 week. Yeah, really. I think out of all four of those games, um, I, I mean Auburn. Obviously, we're a fan, but I think I would almost rather see. Virginia Tech beat Notre Dame just because Notre Dame doesn't have a ranked opponent on the rest of their schedule mm-hmm. after this game. So um, huge college football playoff implications. The Hokies are coming off a solid road win after the shamble- shambolic loss to Old Dominion. Um, they beat a 22-ranked Duke team. Um, so, yeah, go Hokies. Yeah. Did you form the uh, the word shambolic uh, in 2008 watching the, the Ty Willingham Huskies? Did that Enter your yes. vocabulary. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Just ran out of words to describe what was happening in front of you. <laughs> uh, well done, Shambolic. Uh, the Shambolic Mark Jones uh, will be banished once again to, to a game of our choosing. I had a very difficult time choosing this week and could not ultimately make the call because uh, Rutgers and Nevada are both hosting this weekend, so it was hard to pick between those two teams. I think I'd send, the him, go-tos. I would send him to Reno, though. <laughs> I actually have uh, Colorado State at San Jose State. Um, obviously, the Bay Area is a, is is a nicer venue than what I've sent them to in the in uh, previous weeks. But we're talking a one and four Colorado State team versus an zero and four San Jose State team. So we're just going to see some really bad football. So that's why I picked that one. By the way, uh, I th- I think I remember right. I didn't dream that you sent him to uh, the the Georgia Tech Bowling Green game last week. I did. Did you see the final yeah. score on that? No. It was but, like uh, there's a 28 point line, I think. Yeah, Georgia Tech covered handily um, in that game, so it must have been just an absolute slog uh, to watch that. So uh, sorry you weren't there for that, Mark. Um, all right, we uh, we did it, man. We we breezed through that, but now we're just in in the smooth sailing part of this for Great Cat of Week Three. Uh, do, do you want to go? Because I I can handle the Syracuse thing. Yeah, sure. Okay. Uh, so my first great cat is Mark Jones, obviously. Uh, I think that's week four or five now. The Mark Jones um, legacy sec- board. Yeah. yeah, exactly. Uh, second great cat is just going to be kind of a combination of Nebraska, UCLA, and a few other first-year coaches. Willie Taggart at Florida State, Chad Morris at Arkansas, um, Scott Frost and Chip Kelly, obviously, with Nebraska and UCLA. Just been really bad this year those are four teams um that are normally pretty good if not a top 15 type teams top 20 type teams so uh just another week of 
demoralizing losses for those programs. So they make my great cat this week. There you go. Uh, mine, I, I, I don't know the Syracuse offensive system well enough to know if it's Dino Babers, the head coach, or if it's the offensive coordinator that calls plays. However, um, let's let's recap how exactly they lost uh, to to, yeah. to Clemson. Um, so Syracuse is up three on defense, and it's third down with just under seven seven minutes to play. Uh, they sack the the you know hapless fool who hops in for Trevor Lawrence. Uh, dude can't really throw all that well. Uh, they sack him fourth down. Clemson punts. Uh, Syracuse gets the ball at, at their own 32 with 6.48 left in the game. On first down, they run a shovel pass um, for one yard. And the thing about shovel passes is that they are passes, and they inherently can uh, be incomplete and uh, therefore would stop the clock. Not a huge fan of that call. Shovel pass goes for mm-hmm. one yard. They do complete it. Second down, uh, first of all, Syracuse hikes the ball with 26 seconds left on the playcock. Oh, my. 26 seconds left. So wow. they could have they could have run an entire offensive possession in the NBA and then still had time uh, to snap the ball. Um, Twenty six seconds left in the play clock. They snap it to throw a sideline route, which was incomplete. If they had completed the That's sideline the route, it still would have been outside or would have stopped the clock. Um, granted, with a gain of, of five or six. Um, but so now you're in third and nine. They throw an incomplete pass up the middle. Clemson gets the ball back with exactly six minutes left. So. Without having to take any of their timeouts, so Syracuse, instead of uh, who had just seen Clemson run all over them all day, says, "You know what? We're going to give you the ball back uh, with lots of time, so that you feel cl- plenty comfortable continuing to run the football uh, all down our throats, and we are going to lose this game." And the worst part of it, Sean McDonough, Syracuse alum, had to call all of it as the play-by-play oh. guy, <laughs> watching his team just absolutely crumble. In front of him, it was uh, it was it was real bad. I was I was extremely heated. Yeah, I mean, I, I'm surprised you started at that point because I made note of all the way back at the 12 minute mark when they were up by 10. Mm-hmm. Um, they were up, I think 23-13. Ended up losing 27-23. Um, but specifically the nine minute mark when it was fourth and one um, oh, on Clemson's 43 yes. yard line, they were in Clemson territory and uh, they had a an eligible receiver downfield to make it fourth and six and they had to they were forced to punt um after that point they never registered a first down so um just imagine if they were able to you know get that fourth and one converted maybe even nick a field goal mm-hmm. you're up 13 with you know 830 left i mean it's just i don't know if the, i don't know if clemson could have come back and done that so disappointing to say the least but we move on yeah that was that was a tough pill to swallow especially as we've talked about because that that might do it for uh for clemson's losing opportunities the rest of the season Mm -hmm. uh really too bad um god damn syracuse that was that was in your hands (laughs) uh yeah the huskies are going to need a syracusean type performance to to pull off something like that it's going to come in one of those types of games i promise you it's not going to be in any of the games we feature It'll be uh, it'll be in one of the ones that it's like oh my god Oklahoma is losing uh, to Sam Houston State like how is this happening? Um, hey, they're a good FCS team. They really are. <laughs> uh, they're perennial powers in the FCS. Um, but that would be wild. <laughs> yeah, and we welcome it. Uh, to our our OKG of the week uh, for week three, my first one is uh, to the reporters in um, Stillwater, Oklahoma. Uh, 
I, I sent you this earlier in the week, but Mike Gundy, the Oklahoma State head coach, um, mysterious. There was a mysterious transfer or removal from the team. I'm not quite sure of uh, one of their their star freshmen, um, and so he was off the team. And Mike Gundy, who is a man and well over 40 by now, uh, Mike Gundy, tell the head coach of the Oklahoma State Cowboys, tells reporters that if they ask any more questions about about the situation, that he will remove their press passes and and uh, make it unable for them to. Uh, to ask any questions. Uh, Mike Gundy holds a press conference or a, a, a weekly um, uh, conference call and just gets absolutely killed by three consecutive uh, um, cold or uh, prank callers who ask him what, what problem he has with people doing their job and, uh, and things like that, which uh, is just a great thing to check because it's, this is a college football coach trying to um, devalue the work of people who have made it their profession to, to search for truth. So, um, my, my, my props go out to those people who, who crank called Mike Gundy. Well said. Um, my OKG of the week is two words, and I will only say two words, but those words are Jake Browning. Ah, ah, well-deserved, well-deserved. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I will, I will end on saying my other OKG of the week uh, was, of course, uh, Daniel Taonesheim. Uh, mm-hmm. Rest in peace, Daniel, because... Uh, you're a, a, an integral part to both of our childhoods and, and the memories we made as Husky fans. Can't end uh, on any other note than that one. Uh, Stanton, good stuff this week as always. This is our fastest pod. Efficiency, man. We're, we're, we're getting there. Get us getting ready for uh, the speedy uh, <laughs> the blur uh, offense. Yeah. Chip. Yeah, the, maybe we'll see the blur. Yeah, who, who knows? Who knows? If not, we, uh, we supplied the blur this week. Well done. Uh, go dogs. <laughs> go dogs. Those right there, those were the vocal stylings of Michael Stanton ahead of the UCLA game this weekend. Uh, thanks for listening, folks. Hit up the fundraiser, like and subscribe, and leave a review for this pod. Uh, it really means a lot. Peace. you like Russell Crowe and Rome. Uh-huh, don't let that leash come off. We exposing all teams who saw. Train killing dogs who put in endless work. It's the dog pound sucker, step up and get murked. Rowling and barking. Coming down the tunnel, uh-oh, the wild dog broke out of the kennel. All they want to do is run ahead, so watch out, cause you about to get big. Sorry you buns in the pack, can't